Last September, a record-setting heat wave swept all across California. The heat is on and it's getting hotter with Southern California's longest and most intense heat wave of the year. Triple-digit temperatures will roast much of the region, possibly breaking some records. Ten straight days of grueling temperatures put extreme stress on California's power grid, and Governor Gavin Newsom took unprecedented measures to try and ease the strain on the system. The governor's office in the state of California stepped up and sent out an Amber Alert, which is usually only used for missing children, to all of the phones in California. And you can literally see when the Amber Alert was called because the the power just dropped. I think it was by over a thousand megawatts. That's Katie Sloan. She's in charge of Southern California Edison's 15 million customers, which is almost half of the state's entire population. And she was on the utilities incident management team tasked with keeping the power grid running last September. We had twice a day meetings with the governor's office, California independent system operator and the customers so that the California independent system operator could brief customers both in the morning and then at the end of the day. Here's what the grid looks like. Please continue to conserve. So those were happening. We had a separate meeting with the CAISO that was happening once a day. So we were coordinating really heavily with uh, Pacific Gas and Electric and San Diego Gas and Electric on whether or not we would be calling rotating outages. But the outages, they never came. Because of their intensive communication efforts with other California utilities and their customers, Southern California Edison kept the grid running the entire time. It was a huge relief for customers across the state, and it showed that California's utilities could deliver in really intense situations. I don't know that I'd want to do it again, but um, but it was it was kind of fun if I'm if I'm being honest. And I think it was fun because we didn't have to go into rotating outages. This is With Great Power, a show about the people building the future grid today. I'm Brad Langley. Some people say the utilities are slow to change, they don't innovate fast enough, but the industry is full of people trying to make the grid cleaner, more reliable, and customer-centric. This week, I'm talking with Katie Sloan of Southern California Edison about how to decarbonize the grid and make it more resilient at the same time. As we all know by now, climate change is making extreme weather events more intense and more frequent. And these events strain the electric grid. From 2019 to 2021, the state had 44 weather-related power outages. Californians, like myself, we are all too familiar with these situations. And Katie Sloan, she's familiar with them too. Katie is Vice President of Customer Programs and Services at Southern California Edison. She not only works on customer experience and decarbonization, she also helps lead the utility through disaster events like these. California is leading the way on a lot of the clean energy transition, and we have many different states that follow the policies and the programs that we have in California, and really we're trying to mitigate climate change as much as we can. And so if we're implementing policies and programs that end up failing, uh, that will both be difficult for people that are following our lead, but also give opportunity for people that aren't following the lead of California to say, look, it's it's not working. So to me, it's about climate change and uh, less pollution in our communities. And so I can't really think of many higher stakes. Katie knows cleaning up the grid isn't just good for the environment. It's also important for improving resiliency as extreme weather worsens. It also helps customers when the grid is strained. I talked with her about the technology she's using to decarbonize and how it's changing the customer experience at SCE. You've been an energy wonk most of your life, or at least you've been interested in energy and electricity since you were young. T- tell me why that is. 
I got really interested in energy and electricity when I was in college and I was thinking about what I wanted to do in my life and always thought it would be interesting to eventually work um, in you know developing countries and thinking through you know what would that look like and I thought okay infrastructure is a big piece of that water roads electricity and I won't say what years I was I was in college but it was really during the beginning of the um, when solar and wind were were picking up clean energy was getting a lot more traction and press and I just thought it would be great to be part of that change part of the green economy and so that's really been a thread through all of the the work that I've done over the last few years whether it's in energy efficiency or demand response or wholesale renewable renewable power. It's always had a, a clean energy bent. You studied uh, economics in college with a focus on energy. And then during grad school, you connected with SCE. What was your introduction to the utility like and what kind of work were you doing um, in, in that capacity? The program that I went to was at New Mexico State University and uh, got a master's in energy economics, regulatory economics. And the capstone of that program was that you either had to get an internship or you had to get a job. In addition to all the tests that you have to take, that was a part of it. And I thought that was really practical. Um, And so that's where I was introduced to Southern California Edison. I had lived in California growing up and had always wanted to come back. And so what I started, I started as an intern um, at Southern California Edison and was, was working on that was at the time of the, right after the energy crisis in California, deregulation was happening all across the U.S. So I was doing research into how different states outside of California were were doing restructuring so that we could take lessons learned around renewable portfolio standards, providers of last resorts, community choice aggregation, and work it into some of the restructuring that we were doing um, coming out of the energy crisis. And so then that internship turned into a full-time gig. You were a marketing analyst working on demand response forecasting. Um, and after a few years in that role, you became a senior project manager, renewables and alternative power. Um, you know, you mentioned you kind of got your start during the advent of renewables and solar. Uh, what was it like working in DR and, renewable, and, and renewables back then when it was a pretty nascent space? When I was working on demand response, one of the, the things we were do, doing was um, – putting out the first fleet of advanced metering infrastructure. So at that time, we were looking at how much how much more demand response can we get from different pricing structures. That was really, really exciting because we were proving out how customers can respond to various electricity prices, which now we're seeing that, you know, fast forward however many years, it's not just all business customers in California that have time of use rates. It's actually nearly all residential customers that have time of use rates. And I think what we've been seeing over the past few years is really using technology and making it simple and easy for customers to respond to pricing signals, to grid signals. And what we're trying to do on demand response is transition our programs away from things that are, I'd say, draconian, like we're going to cut off your air conditioning on the hottest day of the year, um, to really using technologies like smart thermostats and being able to have it be just a, a small change that most customers are part of. So you're still getting the same overall demand response, but less of an impact um, on those really hot days. And I'd say that being in renewables, um, when I first started in renewables, I was working on the first versions of California's renewable portfolio standard. And a lot of the conversations we were having then remind me of conversations we have today around electrification, where in those days we were talking about, oh, 20% renewables. Is it even possible? 
And then, you know, now we're talking about 100% renewables and people are just concerned about the last few percentages. And I'd say similar on the electrification side, people say, how can we electrify this many vehicles? And we're talking about, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20%. Um, But we can see with like the right market structures, the right incentives, the right policies um, that you can really transition very quickly into adopting those new technologies. If you were to look back at this point when you got your start to now, like, are you really happy, surprised, um, pleased with the process, with the, um, the, the the progress we've made? Do you wish maybe we were further along, or do you think we're where we need to be, um, and we're set up great to achieve these decarb targets over the next ten to twenty years? So I think it's a, a little bit of all of the above. It's been great to see the continued acceleration towards policies that are helping us to get to the, the the decarb future we want to get to. But I think we could be going faster. I think we could, you know, for me, I, I wish that more people would align on most of the technology that we need to get there um, is here today. So let's just go really fast, really big on the technologies that we know we're going to need to be part of and stop Stop worrying about the last 10, 10% because there's so much we need to do between now and the, the 10%. New technologies will come to get there. I feel like sometimes we get into these, these arguments worrying about, you know, the last part of the, the, the transition where we need to focus on like scaling action with the things and t- the tools that we have today. And less, I would say, less analyzing and arguing, more, more action. So I think it was around 2010 that you took a, a volunteer trip to Tanzania, and uh, you had a pretty profound encounter with a teenager about energy access. Uh, tell me about that interaction. I was lucky enough to take a year off in 2010 and, and travel around the world. And one of the things I did was um, some volunteer work in Tanzania at a group that really was supporting children impacted by HIV AIDS, whether it was their family members that had it or they themselves had it. The organization was focused on um, helping them learn, providing computer skills, um, other other life skills that they needed, um, and providing additional support. And one of the students that was there, we became close to, and he was really excited Um, because they had gotten some light bulbs in their house. And he invited us over, um, you know, to to see his home and to show us that he was able to be doing schoolwork at night and was just really excited about it. And that just reinforced everything I'd I'd thought for so long about how powerful just electricity can be in in people's day-to-day life and something that we take for granted so much, I think, um, in in the United States. We, you know, sometimes the power does go out, but overall we can rely on it all of the time. And I think adding the the clean piece of it there, you know, even though he had a, a light bulb at his house, he still had propane cooktop. We have people in the U.S. that are cooking inside of their house with propane. We have people actually in our service area that are doing that. And we've been working to help um, help them electrify and I think not only is it more, you know, the, the productive side of it, but it's also that clean side of it that it's helping people to breathe better in their homes. Um, it just is, is so powerful and inspiring. How do you think this experience shaped the rest of your career? 
it was just validating um, that this is where I wanted to spend my time and my energy. There's so many, you know, problems to be tackled in the world, um, you know, healthcare, general poverty. And I'm, I'm grateful that in the energy industry, we're able to have an impact as well. And it just reinforced for me that I was um, committing, committing myself and my life's work to something that is important. So now um, you manage, I think, a yearly program budget of about a billion dollars. And you and your team, you do a lot. Uh, there is a tech side of things. So building the vehicle electrification, like we talked about, energy efficiency, demand response, customer solar and storage. And then there's a customer side too. I mean, income qualified programs, public safety, power shutoffs, community and climate equity, customer experience. Um, I'm out of breath already, and that's not even the whole list. Um, but through all of this is that kind of clear line of decarbonization. So um, talk about how decarb influences every aspect of the work that you and your team do. It is a long laundry list of things that the team is doing, and I'm, I'm you know, got to give a shout out to them because they're they're the ones that are on the front lines doing the work with with our customers, with our policymakers. But Southern California Edison put out what we called Pathway 2045 a few years ago, and that really looked at not just the the energy industry, but really the entire economy. Um, to see what is the most effective way to get to California's clean energy goals. Um, and as part of that, we saw what I we talked about a little bit earlier, clean the grid, use that clean energy for transportation and for buildings. And so everything that that my team does fits into that pathway framework, whether it's the customer solar and storage, it's the t- you know time of use rates to make sure that we're using energy at the right time, and even the demand response programs, I think as a lot of times people think of those as reliability, they definitely are reliability, but they're also about making sure that customers are confident with us with us providing the power so that they're willing to electrify. And then, you know, when I think about customer experience, that also is a big piece of this. As we're moving more energy onto our grid, we have to have the right experiences so that, again, people feel comfortable using the electric grid to power not only their homes, but their vehicles that they rely on, whether it's for their business um, and making money or, you know, taking their kids to school or, or going to work. So I think even just having those simple customer experiences is a really important part of the the decarb and getting to the decarb goals we need to get to. You had talked earlier about, you know, the last 10%, the need for additional technology that we, we may not even know exists yet. I mean, when you think about that tech, are there, are there any killer tech or applications that you think are required or that you and your team talk about or get excited about that uh, you can't wait to see come into fruition? One of the things I'm excited for that I, I'm hoping the industry figures out over the next few years is really the battery recycling piece of this. From what we've seen, it isn't economic yet. The technologies um, in the batteries are also different and we don't have enough scale. People haven't figured out how to make a business of it. But I think that's going to be a really critical piece of the clean energy future because we are, we're going to have the batteries on the grid for grid storage and we're going to have the batteries in the vehicles. And at some point, we're going to have to recycle them. Like, let's use them as much as we can until then. Um, but let's figure out the battery recycling piece. So despite, I think, a lot of positivity around California's net zero goals, there's also been some criticism from people to say, it makes the grid less reliable. Um, how do you respond to that criticism? I've heard those criticisms. You know, I think 
a good example of when a, some of that criticism came up was last year when we had um, heat wave in California, potential rotating outages. We did not have to have rotating outages, but um, the potential for that. But at the same time, Gavin Newsom, during those 10 days, put out an executive order that was talking about reducing, that was, excuse me, it was talking about EV sales needing to be electric. And so there was a lot of conversation that came up during that time. And the way I, I think about it and I respond to it is, you know, we have to go on this clean energy journey. And like we talked about, really scale and go faster so that we have less impacts from climate. So to me, when we have those issues like a large heat wave, it shouldn't make us be worried about electrifying. It actually should be an impetus for us to do it more. And we have to be candid with ourselves and with our customers and with the policymakers that the next few years are going to be difficult. Um, it will take time to build out the infrastructure. Like we saw, it took time for the vehicles to be available. But that doesn't mean we should quit. Um, to me, it's a call to action for us to double down, triple down, and and do it more. I think we've seen on on our side the impact of wildfires, and we have been able to harden our grid so that we've significantly reduced the amount of times that we have to do what we call public safety power shutoffs. So again, it just it takes time to build out the infrastructure, but but we can do it, um, and we can get to a point where we're not having to have these these emergency situations. What's at stake if utilities don't pursue decarbonization? I mean, you know, I don't want to be drastic, but all the impacts of of climate change. I think, you know, utilities are really a key component for how we can help to mitigate um, as much as we can the impacts of climate change. And if we aren't part of that solution, I don't think we'll be able to get where we need to go. We call this podcast with great power, uh, nod to the power industry, obviously, but it's also a a Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, What is the personal superpower you bring to the energy industry? I think uh, for me, it's having been in so many different pieces of the clean energy solution economy and seeing how all of those pieces can come together. And um, I I like to talk about... um, Going from post-it notes and Sharpies to steel in the ground and concrete in the ground. And so really taking some of these kernels of ideas and being able to put them in, put them into action and scale them is what I bring. I admire the work SE is doing from a decarb standpoint, customer experience standpoint, everything. Um, really, really proud to be a Californian after this conversation. So thank you for the time. Thank you so much. With Great Power is produced by GridX in partnership with PostScript Media. Delivering on our clean energy future is complex. GridX exists to simplify that journey. GridX is the enterprise rate platform that modern utilities rely on to usher in our clean energy future. We design and implement emerging rate structures, and we increase consumer investment in clean energy, all while managing the complex billing needs of a distributed grid. Our production team includes Aaron Hardick, Stephen Lacey, and Camille Stennis from PostScript Media. The original theme song and mixing came from Sean Marquand. And the GridX production team includes Jenny Barber and me, Brad Langley. We really hope this show is providing value for you. And if it is, please help us spread the word. You can rate and review us on Apple and Spotify. And you can also share a link with a friend, colleague, or the energy nerd in your life. Thanks for listening. I'm Brad Langley. Brad Langley.